This is Irish Illustrated Insider. It's Monday, January 3rd. I'm Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley. Pete Sampson, two of the three, have made it back to South Bend. O'Malley will get there eventually. When are you coming back, Tim? Uh, when are allowing you to come back? Wednesday? This is, okay. Yeah, this is, not a, uh, this is not a travel delay. I, right. uh, I took the flight to Atlanta, and we're at the uh, Georgia Aquarium looking at whale sharks with the kids and stuff like that. So Excellent. And I used Excellent. to live here, so there's a lot to do in the next two days to do everything I used to do in my 20s when I lived here. I'm going to try to work that in with the kids. It's going to be fun. We're going to hit the... Uh, good deal. Samson, Samson made it back from uh, from Arizona cleanly. I had a little bit of a delay, we're, but we're back and ready to roll here to talk about Notre Dame's 37 to 35 loss in the Fiesta Bowl to Oklahoma State. Um, Pete, let's start with you. O'Malley and I did, our, of course, our uh, our instant analysis after the game that lasted. Pete, we're going to start with you. <laughs> Enjoy this. <laughs> just some, just some of the the. Uh, the overriding factors that are at the forefront of your mind here today. Uh, you know, no surprise that um, they really missed Kyron Williams, um, but I think they missed him even more than I thought they were going to. Um, they they had no. I thought Marcus Freeman, the head coach, missed Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator, a lot. I because I don't I don't think that uh, Marcus Freeman as a DC would have stopped Oklahoma state, which was sure really should have scored 50 on Notre Dame. Um, but I think he could have gummed it up a little bit more than what the, the, the current, the, I guess, collaborative operation was. Uh, and I thought that it was, it was a reminder of when Brian Kelly says winning is hard, that it's not a cliche. It was a little bit, um, nostalgic, but it was also a very indicative day of how poor some of the recruiting has been under Brian Kelly at the offensive skill positions. Uh, I'm at the skill positions, not the offensive. Skill right, right, right. Okay. Um, <laughs> corner safety receiver, um, incredibly poor. And I think we all thought, especially defensively, Notre Dame would get exposed at some point, And then you get to the end of the year and you're like, wow, I can't believe they made it this far. Well, they didn't make it all the way to the end. Um, Oklahoma State figured out something that I think we believed was true most of the year, even with Kyle Hamilton. Um, and it was especially true after Kyle Hamilton went out that Notre Dame has a very average to below average talent level at the back end of the defense. And Oklahoma State not only found that out, they just stuck the sword in the entire second half because they made Notre Dame play defend 10 personnel, which Notre Dame has never done and is not built to do. I want to build off what you said, Pete, because I've, there's two real points here. Uh, one, beginning of the year, we watched them and we're like, man, they look slow on the back end other than Kyle Hamilton, which is why we were stunned when Kyle Hamilton went out against USC that they were able to beat USC and North Carolina or be, you know, be able to play pretty good defense against them. And point number two is we spent two months wondering if the offensive line was better or if they just were playing worse teams. We should have projected that under the secondary because they played three backup quarterbacks in November and the other guy was Tanner McKee from Stanford. Yeah. And, and they didn't, yeah, they didn't struggle because Josh Lug was out of the lineup either. No, because- no, the group didn't get better on the back end. They just played teams that couldn't threaten them. Um, kudos to the offensive line. I know it's not an A effort because they didn't run for a yard, but they threw 68 times and there was two sacks. Uh, one was absolutely 
brutal pressure on fourth down, which was unfortunate for uh, Cone, Kate Madden with the slant uh, technique. But, I mean, you, if you tell me the offensive line was going to protect that well, I would have thought they could have managed 75 yards rushing, you know? Especially yeah. because, as Pete, I think you tweeted at one point, I am all for this extension of the running game being the passing game. It really was a, a really excellent job at it in the first half. It's just that when you can't run at all in a team that's as smart as Oklahoma State and tackles like that, they just all of a sudden make that really hard to be one-dimensional. They just took away that dimension. Yeah, Pete, I, Pete you, you tweeted out about the, the number of missed tackles by Jalen Warren uh, running back for Oklahoma State compared to Notre Dame, and that was – I mean, that was very obvious. And again, Tim, you, we've talked about Chris Tyree, and, and he, he's got to get stronger. You, you've got to be able to break tackles. Logan Diggs, I don't think, showed very good vision. He had, I know there was one time where it was the third and short, and he had to B-gap to get the first down, and he and he, and he kicks it wide and runs right into a, a defender. Um, and then on the, <clears throat> the defensive side of the ball, I mean, the, the amazing thing is, that despite 377 yards by Oklahoma State in the second half alone, Notre Dame's defense rose up, and they only gave up four touchdowns and nine nine red zone appearances. I mean, that, that's, that's why I deserve a lot of credit for exactly through the whistle. That and then they and they forced some field goals there, so they gave the offense a chance to win, and they just didn't make enough plays. We'll get into there's some other questions in the second half about the offense and and. Uh, and, and opportunities that they missed in the second half. I want to make one point about Diggs. Um, like we're talking about the secondary playing nobody over the last four games. Logan Diggs has never faced a defense until Oklahoma State. And that was a look, the best defense he faced was what? USC? Yeah, probably. I mean, Oklahoma State was a different world. And I don't mean that they're too good for him at all. I mean, when you hesitate and look and think, I'm going to burst right up this – I'm going to wait for this block to open up, and then that block doesn't open up, then you waited too long. I mean, it's just – it's a learning process for Logan Diggs. I'm not saying that those players are better than Logan Diggs, but they're the best football players he's ever seen, and they were collectively all over him. Yeah, it was his MO coming out of high school. He was he, – he was always looking for the home run, and now you're in a situation where, especially facing a defense like this, that you can't think home run. You've got – when it's third and two, when it's third and two, you've got to have the right mindset when they call your number to carry the football. And I, and I don't think they did, but I, you know, I don't want the fumble was that was yanked out and Notre Dame yanked out two fumbles too. I, I, I'm not saying anything about that, but um, I mean, we talk about. Kyron fumbles. Kyron fumbles, man. It's no. Kyron, Kyron Williams fumbles, you know? Yeah. He, he probably Kyron would have Williams had fumbles. one yanked out too, but what he would have done was he would have run through some tackles because okay. he has great feet. Amazing. And and the guys that were carrying the football on on Saturday were not able to uh, to to elude those. Um, the missed tackles, the tempo was huge. Pete, you mentioned the ten personnel. You know, I mean, they. I don't know. Did they really not use that at all? I thought I saw a, a bit of that in studying them leading up to it. I could be wrong on that, but. It's not unique, though, right? For a quarterback that can run and a no, it's just it's it's unique for what Notre Dame has faced. Um, Okay, sure. That's it's it's not like Oklahoma. I don't believe Oklahoma State sprung ten personnel out of nothing, but like Notre Dame has not. I can't. I couldn't tell you a single snap Notre Dame has played against a ten personnel team all season. I guess Howell doesn't do it that way. No, and well, if he did, he had a hundred yards rushing on occasion. But yeah, yeah. 
you know, I, I, I mean, I guess we could talk further about this, but everybody saw it. We know, <laughs> we know what, we know what happened here. I mean, it's, it's in the record books and, and I, I, I guess what I would like to do is finish up segment one um, with two things, one coaching changes, uh, but first Kevin Austin, he has not announced it right. Correctly. Uh, or, or correct. He oh, has yeah, not he, announced it, but he's, he's leaving. He has, a, he has announced it. He has now. Okay. Yeah. All right. Braden Lindsay uh, is coming back. I think that's uh that it's necessary. That's a good thing. Let's look at the reality though, that he is a, at best, a number three receiver. And realistically, if you're talking about playing at the level that Nordame expects to play at, he's a number four receiver, uh, just not strong enough. You can't have, you know, I think he's can't, a three him if you have two ones, if a real one and two. I mean, he's a three if you have Floyd and Tate, right? Yeah, I guess so. I'd still say he's a three and a half, even with that. But just because he's not strong, because he can't get off press. He's not strong enough to break tackles. I mean, he's just, he's, he, but he has great speed and, and he can take advantage of that at times. But um, anyway, he's coming back and that's a good thing. And uh, George Takis is coming back which I don't know that moves the needle a whole lot, but you'll take a veteran tight end and, and, and move forward with that. We know what his role is. I don't know that that changes much since Tommy Reese is, uh, you know, the decision maker there. And that was his role this year. Um, a lot of people are saying because Isaiah Foskey said, tweeted out that I have to do, you know, what, what's best for me and my family that he's leaving. I wouldn't assume that yet. I don't know that I don't actually, I don't even think that that's true. I don't think that he is going to leave, um, but he is a pass rusher. And so that's a possibility. Uh, the Adam Alolas we expect back. <sighs> Davis Wilkins. We don't know about Bracey, but he sure could use the extra year. Bauer. I think Bauer wants to come back. Who am I missing here? Patterson. Patterson has yeah, a decision Patterson. to make. He's a big decision to make too. Yeah, that's a big decision because that really, really impacts the middle of your offensive line, which wasn't strong overall in the, the from guard center guard to begin with. You know, um, that's huge. That's a huge element of the offseason for me of Patterson being there or not because, I mean, the sky is the limit for true sophomores, Joe Alton, Blake Fisher. So fifth-year senior Garrett Patterson at center. I mean, I think it just falls in place around him. Andrew Kristoffic can return as a senior starter. And then you have a good, maybe a, ba- a battle between sixth-year Josh Lug and redshirt freshman Rocco Spindler. But that's what it shapes up to be, right? Yeah. And then you've yeah, got something fine. real. I mean, the two tackles are, oh. my God. Blake Fisher is, that, I, that's incredible. That, that's, that's, that's absolutely, it's incredible how good he is. Now, let, now let's be, let's be straight about this. Fisher and Ald have a long way to go as run blockers. Oh, yeah, they sure do. But, I mean, imagine how good they already are as pass blockers. Yeah. It's incredible. It's just and Joe, Yeah, and Joe Ald was a really good pass blocker this year. But when you watch Fisher operate, yeah. he is such a technician. He doesn't let anybody get in his body. He, he, he punches guys off him. They can't get in his kitchen. He's really, really an incredible – they're both really, really good pass blockers. Yeah, it's like if you if Andrew Kristoffic is your fifth best offensive lineman, like great, like especially when. But if Patterson's gone, then like the middle of the line sort of can't figure it out, or it's going to take a little bit of rebuilding. So that's it's you know, 
I understand like the coaching hires matter the most, but <laughs> the Foskey Patterson combination return would be that that changes your expectation of I think a little bit of what Notre Dame could be. As far as uh, as far as coaching changes, and and there's still there's still some work to be done here, I think. But uh, we expect Harry Heastan to be the offensive line coach, which if we would have said that a couple months ago, would have been like, what, really? Uh, so we expect him to come back. I know um, a lot of people uh, are mixed on that, partly because of his age. Um, he's a great offensive line coach. So um, I think Nordin will take that. Brian Mason, all things being equal, the special teams coach for Cincinnati. We expect him to be the front runner. Uh, James Laurinaitis, the former great linebacker at Ohio State and good friend of Marcus Freeman, is not up for the linebacking coach job. It, it'd be more of an analyst job. Laurinaitis wants to get um, into coaching, and so that's what that move is. And we will await to see what happens at defensive coordinator and whether it's wide receiver coach or running backs coach, we've mentioned this before that Lance Taylor could move from running backs to receivers. If he does not, a name that has emerged um, will probably surprise a few people. He's from Alabama. His name is Holman Wiggins. He is a possibility as a wide receivers coach. But again, if Taylor moves to receivers, then they'll be looking for a running backs coach and then defensive coordinator. Uh, I think Tom Loy threw out some names last week, but let's let that evolve a little bit before we we uh, before we know exactly what's going to happen there. Uh, from what I can gather, I don't expect Lance Taylor to move positions. Uh, okay. I, I, I don't think that's happening um, okay. based on talking to well, some people. Yeah, and I, I, I we have not heard of any running backs uh, coach candidates, so that 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 certainly right. makes well, sense. We have a host of wide receiver coach candidates and no running backs coach candidates. Right, right, That's right, exactly. Yeah. That was just something that I think we threw out. I, I, it, it was a possibility, and knowing his it was a Taylor's background, a ago, so it was important to focus on it. It was right, you know, right, 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 because he was he was it. a two year receivers coach in the NFL. So I mean that that's noteworthy, but. I think ultimately, uh, I think Pete is right there. I think there's a greater comfort zone, uh, especially with, you know, I don't know. <laughs> After seeing a Notre Dame play against Oklahoma State, you know, the whole idea of Notre Dame's running backs room being, I know it's short on numbers, but just being completely loaded with talent. I, I, I don't think that the perception of that is quite what it, what it was maybe uh, prior to Saturday, just because you saw, I mean, it's just, you know, the, the tackle breaking ability of Kyron Williams was taken for granted. I mean, completely taken for granted. And we, then these guys have a ways to go. Yeah. I mean, the best running play of the season was a busted run play in terms of how it was blocked against North Carolina. And then it was just Kyron Williams doing Kyron Williams stuff and Michael Mayer being a five-star blocker down the field. Like that's, that was sort of who Notre Dame was offensively as a run team this year. So it, um, I, I don't think that's going to be a, a world better next season, um, whether Harry Heastan is the offensive line coach or not. So you got to be able to break, break more tackles than the one um, Notre Dame broke in the Fiesta Bowl in terms of run plays um, combined between Diggs and Tyree. Yeah, I just think when we say talent, the talent is there. To, to be, have a, a group of running backs that break tackles, hit creases. Sure. The the the, uh, the 150 receiving yards count that the running backs had. I mean, Absolutely, that is, that's there. 
Um, if they're, you think they're going to be better than Kyron Williams, they're not. Why is why why does he have to? Why is the next guy to be better than Kyron Williams because he's eighteen? Hopefully, no one is actually saying that. I think people see Diggs and they assume he'd be better than Kyron because Kyron was as good as a freshman. I don't understand something, man. Kyron Williams, oh my god, is awesome. He's an awesome college running back. Okay, hey, Diggs is Diggs is better as a freshman than Williams was as a freshman. So how about that, O'Malley? Exactly, and we'll just re- we'll revisit that <laughs> when, uh, when we watch the season next year unfold. And you're not looking at the guy going like. I can't believe how great this running back is. <laughs> and that's just, he's a unique, he's a unique. Look, think of it this way, Pete. A month and a half ago, you're taking questions. Is this your favorite running back you've ever seen at Notre Dame? And people yeah. Are like, oh, yes, it is. <laughs> so that's a pretty good compliment, whether he's the best or not. That's a heck of a compliment. All right, segment two coming up, burning up the boards. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two, burning up the boards. We start with a question from Wash ND. Obviously, Marcus Freeman's first game was a failure on many levels, but did the performance diminish your expectations for his abilities as a head coach, or do you just talk chuck this up as inexperience that he will learn from. I don't think it changes my expectations at all. Um, the fact that he lost a game to a top 10 team by two points, um, how they lost was bad. I think that it is worth remembering that when Mike Gundy was coaching his first game as a college head coach, Marcus Freeman was a sophomore linebacker at Ohio yeah. state. So, um, there's something to be said for that. Uh, the fact that they were up 28, seven happened. So they certainly came out of the gates quickly and aggressively and were prepared. And then I think a lot of the thing, like Marcus Freeman was not going to be solve three years of poor recruiting at some skill positions in four weeks. So that got exposed. Ernie wasn't able to hide it. Um, You know, I don't blame Marcus Freeman for the offensive line, not being able to run the ball, but um, it's, I think the most important thing for Freeman moving forward is the ability to discern what matters and what doesn't, um, you know, what makes, what kind of coach you need on your next staff and you know, what, who you, who you don't need. So that, that all is new stuff for him too. But uh, the game itself, if they had drove down and won the game at the end after recovering an onside kick, I, I'm not sure I would have felt all that differently about um, I would have felt differently, but I shouldn't have felt all that differently about, you know, the challenge that's in front of him. Yeah. I, I think we should have paid a little bit more attention when priesters like Mike Gundy's 10 and five in bowl games and they pay attention to bowl games. And these guys are seniors that have been on this defense for three years and they are going to have something ready because they did. They had answers after they saw what Notre Dame was doing. Um, Notre Dame was less effective running the ball than even I thought they would be. Um, I, was, I would have guaranteed you under 100 yards, but I probably would have guaranteed you over 50 too, right? I don't know what they ended up with, but 50, they, what, if they 42. had 40 yards, they weren't real 42 yards. It's BS 42 yards, so whatever <laughs> happened there. But um, I think, I don't know what Freeman could have done totally differently in terms of if you look back at their preparation and everything. Could he have called defensive plays as the head coach trying to win one game before he becomes the head coach? Yeah, I thought he, yes, we talked about yeah. that. We thought I mean, he yeah. should. One of the first we things we said, he could have just been up at the booth, calling plays, or be on the field calling plays. And Mike Elson can't be been, in the booth calling plays. No, you probably I can't. Mean, but Mike Elson could be the associate head coach during the game and 
I just, you know, if you're really trying to just win one game, but that, that doesn't matter anymore. It's never going to happen again. Um, <laughs> if you took everything that happened in the last 31 minutes and 16 seconds, you're going to be hard pressed to find enough positives that you agree with that the coaches decided to, that might, like the decisions that had to be made. What, what can you do to not let a team score immediately when there's a minute 16 left in the half, right? What can you do? Uh, if there's 37 seconds left, do you want to try to score? Well, we're up 28, 14. I think it's okay, but maybe we could get a field goal. What can you do when it's fourth down? I personally thought I would go for it too on fourth and six. Cause I thought one, one first down ends it for Oklahoma state and Notre Dame's defense stunk at the time. They were being helped by the red zone. Basically Oklahoma state right. saw the red zone and everything got capped for them. They couldn't score on Notre Dame near at the end. I don't disagree with any of those individually. It's amazing. All of it happened. Does that make sense? Well, I'm, maybe maybe as amazing as Notre Dame taking a 28 to seven lead and scoring more touchdowns against Oklahoma state in 28 minutes. than they had scored against them in 60 minutes all season. Yeah. I mean, that that's, that that's as equally surprising too. the, the end of the half drive, the four play 75 yard drive in 37 seconds. That was so disappointing. Right. You know, uh, first of all, um, door had missed a field goal prior to that. So it would have been 24 to seven before it actually became 28, you know, 28 to, to seven, but just four play because you had Ke- uh, Kaiser misses a tackle. Kaiser gets locked one-on-one with Presley and can't handle them. DJ Brown whiffs on yeah. Spencer. And then oh. the start of the real start of Clarence Lewis's problems, the first Tay Martin touchdown uh, that's when it really started rolling. And, and remember with the two passes that Martin dropped back yes. to back in the first yeah. half, that, that, that was that might've right? looking back. That was Bracey. At least one. Was of them. It, well, uh, maybe one of them. I, yeah, the I thought the second one. Okay. Definitely. Okay. The first one was, was Lewis, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Look at the, the original question about Marcus Freeman, and I'm not saying that Wash D is, is uh you know his opinion has changed about Marcus Freeman after one game he he asked the question but we don't realistically one way or another you're not going to let this game determine well, the same way you weren't going to let the the first game against Florida State to determine whether Marcus Freeman was a good defensive coordinator or not it it, it happened they they put it all together they did great in the first half and then it all got away from them. I, I I'm not going, I'm not going to judge Marcus Freeman long-term based upon what happened on, on Saturday. I think the most important decision he has to make right now, I mean, it's pretty easy defensive coordinator. He better find a veteran defensive coordinator. We can say that Mike Elson is a candidate. So then the second, so then the first time they face tempo, with Elson as a coordinator, it will be the second time in his career he's faced tempo after facing it the first time and giving up a thousand yards. Uh, I just want to throw this. I made this comment to O'Malley at halftime, um, and I meant it as a joke, but the joke hits a little differently now. I said, <laughs> I said, man, this is the most impressive debut by a Notre Dame head coach since Charlie Weiss. <laughs> I mean, if you remember sort of how you felt during the Pittsburgh yeah, game certainly, in 2005. Certainly. And that was pretty much indicative of nothing. So yeah. I, yeah, I don't know why this would be indicative of anything either. Right. We all felt we all felt the same way at halftime, right? I mean, the way the way things were going, yeah, yeah you feel you feel like Nordame's in a in a great position to make it happen. Let's move on. Tim, go ahead. Second question. That was a long first question. TK Brown's eighty four. 
conditioning seemed to be a huge issue in this game. Are you surprised, as I am, that conditioning was an issue given that Matt Bayless stayed? Did the team seriously condition in December? Did they know how Oklahoma State was going to go tempo? Well, uh, of course they seriously conditioned in December. Um, and, of course, they knew that Oklahoma State was going to go up-tempo. I, I think, uh, I mean, the conditioning issue, there are reasons for it. Defensively, Oklahoma State ran 57 plays in the second half, and they ran tempo. Now, of course, the defense is, is right. going to get tired. Uh, and then, secondly, you threw, you had 70 passes, or 60 were thrown, two sacks. So you attempted 70 passes with a short supply of wide receivers. So of course they're going to be gassed when they, and again, stating this when they haven't played in four or five weeks. So, you know, I'm not giving anybody a pass, but there were reasons why they were gassed. And it was just because of the way the, the, the game transpired. I want to go to what Drew White said after the game. I, I think either Peter, or I asked him about tempo. Yep. There's a lot of things involved with tempo, but, but look, 50, 50 balls are knocked down. That's second and 10. They're not running tempo. We get a chance to tackle at the line of scrimmage at second and nine. They might be running tempo, but it's second and nine instead of second and two, right? There's you, you miss tackles. Tempo kills you. You don't knock the ball down. They, they went through a game with no pass breakups. Yep. There yep. have been no pass breakups in the game. Are you kidding? Like don't, didn't tackle, didn't defend the ball well in the air. <laughs> and I, we talked about this in the bus ride um, home. So the bus ride there, we could have won some money, but on the bus ride home, not from Arizona back to the hotel. Back to the hotel. Yeah. The um, yeah, that would have been a rough bus. <laughs> the, uh, the backup defensive line of Notre Dame was less impressive today than I can recall, or less impressive Saturday than I can recall. Like, there wasn't anything happening when it wasn't like, oh, there's Justin Adamiola again. There's Donna again. There's Jacob Lacey making a play. There's Howard. We were looking for Howard Cross at one point during the game. Yeah, I thought of all of those guys you just mentioned, I thought Lacey flashed the most early. But I mean, obviously not, not his enough. game, though, right? Not his. He right. Just not right, right, I just right, played right. a career high in snaps, so they must have thought the same thing, I guess. I think. I mean, conditioning was an issue in the sense that they asked them to do something that they've never asked them to do before. You know, no one ever has asked Ramon Henderson to play ninety-one snaps. I mean, that that's like going back to to like Brian Van Gorder at Texas levels of personnel use. Um, you know, you cannot at, you cannot throw the ball 68 times with three available receivers and then be like, wow, Braden Lindsay's conditioning is really in question. No, he's not, because you asked him to freaking run a marathon. Um, that while sprinting, like that doesn't that was it was one of those things where like Notre Dame's lack of functional depth at the skill positions really hit them hard. And that's not a conditioning issue, it's a lack of bodies issue to me. Like that, that was the real story when it came to Notre Dame running out of gas is they didn't have anybody else to put in. They didn't have somebody to replace Cam Hart who had a thigh bruise. They didn't have somebody to replace Clarence Lewis who was really struggling. They didn't have somebody place Ramon Henderson who just moves to safety like a month ago. So that, that to me is a much bigger issue than anything related to Matt Bayless. Yeah. And then DJ Brown's not playing anywhere near the level of football that he had, right. that you he became had. accustomed to in the second half of the, of the season. I thought Question Griffin for, played the level of football that we were accustomed to though. <clears throat> what was the stat, Tim? I don't remember the tackle number, but it was, it was less than <laughs> what it was about the same that you had. 90. Yeah. There, not that he was on the field for 95 snaps. 
maybe. But he did, but he did not make a tackle. Anyway, moving on to mortgage that. Can you explain the conundrum that is Tommy Reese? Like Brian Kelly's tenure at Notre Dame, it seems like a lot of unfulfilled promise so far. The Oklahoma State game is representative of that. Great first half, scored enough to win, but totally out-schemed in the second half. I would disagree with that. Uh, I don't think that they were out-schemed in the second half. I think that they failed to take advantage of some good and well-schemed plays. Um, there were some opportunities for them to score in the second half that they didn't, um, and that they really needed one more score than they got. So I I didn't feel like in the same way that Gundy clearly got the better of Freeman um, in terms of Oklahoma State's offense versus Notre Dame's defense. I don't I certainly don't feel that way in the second half when you know you're, you're throwing for 500 yards. Um, you have three 100 yard receivers. You know they needed Styles to make that deep shot catch. Um, you know there were a couple other drops here or there, but overall I thought that uh, it was it was a, it was a winning performance from Notre Dame's offense. I think it's difficult when you're. Um, so I'm watching the game, and every time they don't run on first because they can't run the ball. So every time they don't run on first down, I'm kind of happy. I'm thinking, like, good job. Way to not way to keep attacking because if you run on first down, then it's second and nine, and then you get pretty tempted to run again, right? Because you want to get out of it, and then it's incomplete pass on first down. And you think, okay, well, don't run on second and ten because that's what they used to do with Cam McDaniel in 2013. We don't want that back. So all of a sudden you realize they just can never run the ball if you're thinking along the lines of a logical person watching the game. And I think Tommy Reese at one point during the second half was like, when am I going to mix in a run? Because all I'm doing is running to keep them honest, and it might not even keep them honest. Well, there were right? 80, yeah, there were 89 snaps. There were 89 snaps by Notre Dame, and 70 of them were were passes or, you, or yeah, called passes. You, when do you mix it? Like, that's, and, and you know what? That sounds like too many, right? But when do you mix in the run? When is the right time to run the ball when you can't get the yards? It's a really difficult situation, and I don't have the answer for it. And we have another – we have a question on Tyler Buckner coming up. So let's say Buckner, Buckner's not in the game, so Tommy Reese is called to play, okay? I know he's the one that could have put him in the game, but Buckner's not in the game. You're called right. to play. Do you really look at there and be like, all right, first and ten, got to get rolling here. Let's uh, – Inside zone to Tyree. It's not what you want to do, right? I mean, it's very hard. And I mean, well, I guess if they had done that, the if best they, coordinator would figure it out, I suppose, right? He would figure out a way to run 20 times for 85 yards. But, I guess so. But if you yeah. if you do that and then it's second and 10, then I Reese know. is making a mistake by running the football. Exactly. I just want to, <clears throat> in today's tale of the tape, I, I pointed out four plays in the second half. Uh, and and let, let me bring this up. It was a third, it was a 28-21 game. Okay. So Oklahoma State scores right out of the gate in the third quarter. And so Notre Dame has possession. It's third and four. And Cone throws a pass that is on at least the lead hand of Kevin Austin. But he he throw he tries to make a, a one-handed catch on third and four. So Notre Dame's at least near their own 40. Maybe if he breaks a tackle or, or he gains some separation, he's up the midfield. So now you have to punt. On the next series, it's now 28 to 28 because Oklahoma State marched down and scored. And you throw a pass to Chris Tyree, and he's wide open, and he's going to get a first down. He's going to get the, the, the drive launched, but he just drops it. And then they throw two more incompletions, and, and uh, they have to punt. Then you have in, uh, with, with Styles, it's a 34-28 lead in favor of Oklahoma State. And Tommy Reese dials up a deep ball, and he's got him beat. He's got a beat, and it hits his lead hand, 
but he doesn't, I mean, the effort to make that play is, is so limited. And so instead of being down, uh, what did I say? It, it was, it would, they were down three at that point. They could, if, even if he doesn't score, although he is a speedster, I thought he probably had to, to d- dive somewhat to make the catch. That's but now they're in, now they're in the red zone or near the red zone down three with 12 minutes to go. And then I, then there was one play where I mean, clearly Braden Lindsay had gotten beyond his man and the DB grabbed his shirt tail and it stretched three feet and they didn't call it. So how is that? How, how is that bad play calling? It is, it's bad execution by your players. It, they go hand in hand, a good play call requires a good play and vice versa. I, I just, when an offense bogs down, bogs down, just to say that the play calling is bad is, is, is that really analysis? Is that, are no, we really analyzing it correctly or do we look at each play and determine what exactly happened? But don't you guys kind of agree, like without having an answer for it, that you have to find a way if you're Notre Dame, of course, of course, the ball somehow, some way to keep them honest. About of course, safety. which is what leads us into the next question. I'm going to skip ahead to Tim from Ferrara on air. And that was with no running game to speak of, we know in retrospect that not playing Tyler Buckner, some snaps in the second half. So second half was a gigantic mistake. What factors played the largest role in that decision? This is where I can, although I don't know exactly where the best place to do this, because I'm mentioning all these plays in the second half that are open with Jack Cohn throwing the football and either a lack of execution or, you know, a, a no call by, by an official where do you put Tyler Buckner in and why are you putting him in other than to loosen things up for the running game, which is what I, which I, I agree with that at some point, at some point you had to do that. You know, we talk about complimentary football all the time. The reason you're putting Tyler Buckner in the game is because your defense didn't give up 14 straight points on the, on the verge of the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half. Because if, if Notre Dame was up 28, seven, when they got, when they touched the ball, the first time in the third quarter, I'm pretty sure Tyler Buckner would have been the quarterback because it would have been, all right, let's activate the run. We can be more balanced now. We don't need to keep chucking it all over the place, but that's not how the flow of the game went. So that's not how the flow of the quarterback reps went. Yeah. It was difficult once Oklahoma state got back in the game to say, okay, I'm going to try this. That's why now we're going to try Buckner. That's why I really felt you would see Buckner at some point in the first half to see what it looked like against Oklahoma State, to see what Oklahoma State's plan is for it. Because, I mean, Oklahoma State knows. They've scouted Tyler Buckner. They're going to take their shot in press coverage and see what Tyler Buckner can do, and they are going to swarm him. But let's see what it looks like, and let's see what we can use later in the game. So, I mean, if you're looking to fall, I, mean, I, I guess I was thinking that the whole game because it was my pregame notion. It might not even be correct, right? Maybe, maybe there was no reason to do that. Again, I don't have the exact answer of when Tyler Buckner should have gone in the game. They couldn't run the ball at all. Jack Cohn had running lanes the size of a caved in line and he's throwing 68 times. You got to be able to mix in the run like Spencer Sanders does as an example in the on the other side of the field. I don't know when to put him in. It's their job to know when to put him in. Tyler Buckner had to play in that game. I agree with that. I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I don't know what, yeah, it's hard. Right. I mean, it's easy in retrospect to say why, just why didn't they get him in picking the right spot was difficult. You didn't, 
You didn't you didn't want to do it in the first half. Jack Cohn threw four touchdown passes. Yeah, the thing is that yeah. the, like the two times they didn't score or the three times they didn't score, there was what two punts and a missed field goal. So one of those drives was successful. You can't say, well, it had to be one of those times because that wasn't successful. It was only not successful because we know now it wasn't successful. <laughs> All the other times, what if they right. put him in when Cone threw a touchdown? Cone wouldn't throw a touchdown. But it, it's really hard to do. Um, but he had to be in. It's and the, again, I don't. I, I've been in coaching when, when you lose, it's the, the coach puts it on himself. It, you have to find a way, you have to find a way to be successful. You can talk about lack of execution, whatever, but you have a responsibility to find a way to be successful. And he didn't do that. But the flip side is when you dial up the plays that you need in the second half to maintain your lead or to get it back, your players have to make plays. And if Lorenzo styles is not going to give, we're talking about Notre Dame play, playing at a playoff level. You think, and I'm not saying he needs to be as good as the whiteouts at, at Alabama or the whiteouts that won a national title for LSU, but do you think that they lay out and make that play when when your team absolutely has to have it? Probably not as freshman playing the most snaps he's ever played in his entire college career. Well, perhaps, it but might it's be not part of it when you're when you're at sixty snaps. I, mean, I love, I, yeah, I love Lorenzo yeah. Styles. He's going to be a great player, but in that moment, he's got to make a play there. Yeah, and it's. I just and, think, and, you know, I think you're viewing that in a vacuum. That is not fair to a freshman receiver to make a play on a deep ball that he's got his hands on that he didn't give much of an effort on. I think he's saying like. In, in in a vacuum, he should make that play. But if it's fit, snap fifty one, and his last three snaps he ran forty five yards, and he's usually on the sidelines, maybe he didn't have it. But yeah, one hundred percent that should be on his offseason film study to be like, all right, when this happens again, this is how you do it. Uh, I would, but I would argue on sixty five snaps where you're out there all the time and you are a rotational player, and there you're in a game plan where you're throwing it sixty eight times. I and think he was down, he played 65 snaps and 55 of them were and, were pass and you're down three and your team absolutely has you have to make a play for your team to be successful and, and regain the lead. Yeah, he, at, he had to make so, the play, but maybe that's why he didn't. That's probably the best way of coming. Look, you know, I, I what I'm saying is he had to make the effort. He had right. to make the effort. Not, not you know, if he does and he can't make the play because he's worn out, I, I get that. But I mean what what are we talking about here? We're talking about Notre Dame playing in a major bowl. I realize they're gas and they were put in an unfair situation. And I love Lorenzo style. He's going to be a great player. He just needs to, you're, you're, they needed him to make a play there. He had to make a play and he didn't, he didn't make the effort necessary to make the play. That's all I'm saying. I'm not down on Lorenzo styles, but when you but the whole point of it is this, it was not the the play call was was perfect. It was absolutely perfect, and it wasn't executed. And whether it's whether it's Styles who should have made the play or Cohen who should have made a better throw, it doesn't matter. The right. play call was correct. It was perfect. It's hard to do it all in retrospect because I, I think of like let's say Tyler Buckner had run two series, twelve plays, they get a field goal, or maybe they just punt after getting two first downs two times, and Notre Dame's defense gets to be on the sideline. That's important part of play calling too. There's no doubt like, about it. That's complimentary. Yeah. You're talking about complimentary football again. But think about this: you ins- if they insert, at what point do you insert Tyler Buckner in the first half? You put him in and they go three and out. Never, no, right. You never you put him in. That. They go three and out. It's like why the hell are they changing from Cone? Yeah. 
Yeah. He's having a record-setting well, well, day. Why the hell are they changing from Cohen to run the ball? Like, Tyler Buckner makes plays as a runner. They, you know what I'm saying? They, why are they changing from Cohen? To see if they could run the ball, too. To give Oklahoma State a little bit more to worry about than Jack Cohen throwing Agreed. and standing there. And Agreed. never, ever, 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 ever running. Ever. No matter how many things are happening, he's going to have to throw it. Well, the, to me, the best, re-watching the game, the best example of that on the interception by Rodriguez that is a play. I mean, he could have run for yeah. Cone could have run for as long as he wanted, uh, right up to Rodriguez, who was running away from the line of scrimmage. But he didn't have he he didn't have to give any consideration to to the run. All he had he ended up having double coverage with one of the DBs. I don't know which it was, and so you don't even have to give that consideration. But these 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 in retrospect second guesses are are always easy. It, this is this was just a, it was just a tough one to decide when you put Buckner in, but they lost the game and they needed to change things up, and you had to get them in somehow. That's the coach's job. That's why they get paid the big bucks. Blue chip man, should Marcus Freeman bring in an offensive specialist as an analyst or consultant to solicit additional perspective on the offense? A guy experienced like David Cutcliffe, as we've often mentioned, or someone. They, yeah, they probably should. David Cutcliffe is sixty-seven, and I doubt that he's inclined to come to Notre Dame to serve as an analyst. I mean, I, he's he's had a lifetime in coaching. Uh, but should they have somebody like that? Yeah, if the, if there's the right fit, um, sure. But I I don't really I don't really think that Tommy Reese is um, is coming up short in the play calling department. So I don't I, I don't. He's two years into it now. He's a third-year offensive coordinator. I don't. Uh, I, I don't know that that is essential to bringing out the best in Notre Dame's offense moving forward. I don't think that he needs it any more than Marcus Freeman needed um, Kerry Cooks on the roster or, or you know on the coaching staff last year. Like you, if you can find an, an established Power Five assistant coach who's just sort of in between and can help you and you know maybe lighten the load. Yeah, but what? But Marcus Freeman didn't need Kerry Cooks to come in and influence the defense. He needed an extra teacher. Um, that that's that's all Notre Dame would need on the offensive side of the game. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I from that perspective, I certainly agree with it. I don't I don't think that Tommy Reese needs somebody to sit sit down with him and no. counsel him how to call, call a game. Does he stand count though? In that you have a veteran line coach when you, when you're going it when Tommy no. Reese. No, no, so no. Look, give me a second. No, let him let him say it. Seriously, when Pete, when Tommy Reese sits down and says this is the game plan, we can't run the ball in Oklahoma State at all. Um, so Cone's going to be – I mean, we are literally going to throw every single time I think we need a yard. And then Harry Eastan says, what happens when Jack Cone can't get away from anybody and he's just under fire at some point? He's like, well, we're going to live with it. He's like, oh, okay, I mean, we can live with it. Or we could we consider – Or, Coach, you might want to consider using – this segment yeah. of the playbook yeah. or something along those lines. But I'm not, uh, yeah, I guess it's not like someone needs his handheld. I'm talking about like having veteran coaches on staff. Sure. Is an, I still think a veteran coach on staff that for Marcus Freeman is important. Oh, absolutely. There's so much stuff that's going to go on. Having a veteran guy there is going to be an important thing. No, and I think, I mean, I know yeah, you're they can not... roll with all 38 year olds and they can just have good first halves for the rest of their lives. Yeah. At least we. <laughs> And Pete, I know you're not diminishing Kerry Cooks. He's a good football coach. Um, and I think that he, you know, I, I, he was he was very beneficial to Chris O'Leary, certainly. Absolutely. Yeah. But so, that's different yeah, than I, Reese. Yeah. And, so, and after hearing O'Malley out, uh, the answer is still no. 
Like, I just don't <laughs> think that's, that's just not he stands role. If, if he stands as the offensive line coach, he is the offensive line coach. Yeah, only. he's. Like, I don't think he's inclined to suggest Chip play calling. Chip Long bounced ideas off of him. Uh, I don't know if that's. I mean, I he, lied. <laughs> he lied about it. I guess. I mean, I mean, it's just basically. I think Chip Long was like, "We're running this. This is how I need you to block it." And he's standing like, "Okay, we're going to block it that way." Um, you know, I, I think he's saying can point out, "Hey, this play call runs into this blocking formation." Right. But I don't think he stands and be like. I would point you to chapter five of the playbook, Tommy Reese, where we have no, jet sweeps. Well, there's, there's overall game planning that goes on. I mean, yeah, I think he can like, like, okay, that's a that that would get us into a trap as an offensive line. Right, if you tried to run this. Yeah, their linebackers are doing this. Yeah, but that's yeah. different than like I'm going to help you do the game plan. I guess in my yeah. mind, I got you. Yeah, I mean, as many experienced guys as they can get on staff. Yeah, it's it's great. It's I don't. I mean, I, I, everybody keeps saying David Cutcliffe, and I love, you know, I've, I've really admired David Cutcliffe through his career, but he's 67 years old and he just retired from being a head coach. I, I don't yeah, think he's maybe a, a coach. He lives like, in North Carolina. He's not going to move to South. He just isn't inclined to move to South Bend. <laughs> I think people are seeing all the all the analysts that end up being head, ex head coach analysts on Nick Saban's staff, and they realize yeah, well, it doesn't hurt to have those. No guys. other no other program in the country is going to have that many analysts. Right. right. Irish Murph, the linebacker position needs to get much more athletic overall. Who do you see there next season? There's a lot of questions here, a lot to consider here. Uh, does Maris Leofau play the will? Who plays Mike? Maybe Bertrand and Kaiser share Mike like Bauer and White did this year. Does Prince Colley play Rover? Where do the four freshmen fit in? We got a lot to we got a lot to figure out here with the linebacker core. I mean, he's Drew dead White's on with gone. the first sentence. Yeah. Drew White's gone. But he and Irish Murph is dead on with the first sentence. Uh, this this defense felt like it was p- trying to play two Mike linebackers at once, um, and so that Which it was. Yeah, Which Oklahoma was. State. Yeah, Oklahoma State was like, hmm, all right. Well, we're gonna put JD Bertrand in some real binds here and see what happens. Um, you know, Bertrand had a a really good debut season, but was just a little bit out of position. So, ne- I it was really the first. I don't know if it was the first time all year, but it was certainly the first time you either said it out loud or said it on Twitter. There's like, they really miss Maris Leofau right now. And I realized he had not played very much in his career, but that was a game for Leofau and they didn't have anybody like him in it. And it showed. I think, I mean, also the third sentence, Maris Leofau played the will question mark. Yes. Maris Leofau plays. The yeah, will. definitely. I think Prince Collie is behind Maris Leofau with the will, as long as Collie continues to develop. Um, the mic is probably Bauer and Bertrand. Right. Right. And, and Rover and Kaiser and someone. Obviously, everybody wants Snead out there right away. If it works out, it works out. Um, I, it seems like Collie has moved to the will position. I, I mean, I know he has moved, but it seems like that is the plan as of now. Would you guys kind of agree with that? Yeah. Uh, but in it, yes. Um, but, you know, things. You oh, may have sure. you may have to reconfigure a little bit next year, and then, I mean, as far as the freshman <laughs> Sneed, I, I didn't get a chance to see him in the All Star game, but apparently he was dominant and fantastic. So maybe that's a guy that doesn't. It, it's just so hard to. They aren't here yet. I, it's just no. so hard to project that. It'd be great if Kaiser can play twenty snaps, Sneed can play twenty snaps, and somebody else can play twenty snaps in September. Then you figure out what you have in October, yeah. right? Hey, did we ever figure out? We we're talking about guys that could come back. Did we ever figure out whether Isaiah Pryor can slash will come I mean, back for a six year? His redshirt year at 
Ohio State, he played. I mean, he played four games. It would seem like he has. Okay. A All right. Okay. I'm I'm digging in the weeds there, but yeah, the linebacker stuff they've got to be they got to be better. And you know, I mean, God bless Drew White. I mean, think about what Drew White did in the last three years. I mean, he's been he's been a hell of a college football player. Drew yes, White he has. Well. Yeah, he did. He played. He played. Yeah, he played. Well, hell, he forced a fumble and then recovered a fumble, which is what what gave them any kind of chance to win in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they have to be more athletic. And I, that, I, that was one of the first, it was, it was in my column afterwards. I mean, you, in games like this, it's like, wow, are they not very athletic? At, and I, and that wasn't a shot at white because white played really well, but I think Kate, don't you think like white, white is athletic enough to be a Mike linebacker. And yes, like, I, no, I, right. like you could win it and they did, but like they, that wasn't of all the guys in the back seven, I thought white held his own. Um, I'm not sure anybody else did. Right. And I thought White, uh, ironically, he had to play like 60, 60 snaps, and we had already determined that 40 was his best number for the whole yeah. season. He was, you, could, you did not take him out. And I guarantee you that's what Freeman and Elston were thinking. They're like, well, he, we can't rotate him out. He's the guy doing something. Yeah. Like, that's, that's no, just a heck of absolutely. an effort for a fifth-year senior. <laughs> people rogue off all the time. You know, contrary to – there is a popular belief out there that <clears> – <throat> Like your team, the team that you follow should be really good at every position and have really good depth at every position and to never have breakdowns at every position. It happens even no, on, I, even on 11 and two teams playing in new Year's six bowls. It, I, I do agree with this whole, they need better speed in the linebacker position, but Maris Leofau was supposed to be the starting will, not JD Bertrand. No doubt JD about Bertrand it. It would have been a really good backup. No doubt about it. Linebacker, right. Yep. Question from M. Lindbergh. Can you provide insight into how we manage the numbers? Can you provide insight into how Notre Dame manages the numbers at wide receiver moving forward? I, sh- I usually uh, change the wording before I type it in. M. Lindbergh said we. I'm saying Notre Dame. Oh, okay. yeah. They, they, I mean, they need more of them. Um, that's the, the, that's how you manage the numbers. You should never go into a game like Notre Dame went into the Fiesta Bowl where you're going to throw it as much as they're going to throw it and try to do it essentially with three receivers. Well, and You got to have seven functional receivers. Well, I mean, Colsey, was he banged up? Did he have a pull? I don't know. I, you know, I mean. So he had one play on third down where he wasn't open. He didn't separate. They threw it anyway, and he didn't catch it, but he didn't drop it. Um, I think the throw was a little off by Cone because, first of all, that he was, yeah, he was, was wearing the time. guy. He was wearing the guy like a defender. Yeah. You're not supposed to throw the ball right to that situation. Um, yeah. So three snaps, zero for Thomas. Like you elevated him a month ago. You can't rotate in to mix none. Wow. Don't well, know. let's get back to the uh, the original point of the question is how they manage it. Now let's. I'm, I'm going to list the guys. Four, five, six, seven. Uh, these are the guys that we know or think are coming back. Lindsay, of course, Avery Davis coming off the injury. Joe Wilkins, we expect to come back. Colsey, Styles, Thomas, Merriweather. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Two grad transfers, right? Yeah. And probably and somebody else. And probably another uh freshman that signs in February uh, in the class of 2022. If you could, if you were ever going to make an exception and it's not really, I guess it is sort of an exception for an undergrad transfer. Now would be a good time for that at wide receiver. Um, That 
there really if there's true. somebody out there that's looking around that has a chance to like affect your offense, then you you got to figure out a way to make it work. Did I just see what I just saw? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Twitter. Yeah. You're the one that alerted me. Let me yeah. let everybody know, Pete. Uh, yeah, as as we we're recording, that uh, Houston Griffith announced that he will also return. Uh, and considering there's a Shamrock in it, I'm assuming that means to Notre Dame for what would be a fifth year. But anyway, back to the receivers. I, you know, it's this. You have to figure out a way to have not just more bodies at the position, but more bodies ready to go. To O'Malley's yeah. point about Colsey, you can't you can't get into a situation next year where your fourth, fifth, and sixth receivers, you're like, eh, I'm a little hesitant to put them out there. You you have to coach them up so they are ready to go. And you know why they were not ready to go, I I don't know. Um, maybe that's part of the reason there'll be a new receivers coach. But that you just can't. You can't roll that way and, and expect to be able to play football like that. Uh, another, oh, I'm, I don't even know where I got this from now. So many, so many messages are coming here. Quinn Carroll is transferring from Notre Dame. So there's another, I mean, there are a lot of, there will be, Tim, we talked about this before we recorded. Why don't you address this? There are going to be a bunch of grad transfer spots available yeah. because we are just the tip of the iceberg of, of transfers it has begun. I, I don't want to, this is the fans point of view. So I'm not speaking ill of these players at all. Cause I think you absolutely should come back when guys are like, how do we have room for Tackus with everybody coming in? I don't know. Do you want a guy that's played 700 snaps in his career or seven open roster spots on your 85 man roster? That's <laughs> why you're bringing these guys back. Because, Notre Dame was 78 scholarship yeah, players. Exactly. This is gonna be, they are going to be so far below 85. If they, if they don't, let's say for some reason, obviously they're going to don't add any grad transfers or transfers or new recruits. They started what at ninety two a couple weeks ago. It'll be seventy nine if we don't add anybody else. So yeah, you want a part time starter to come back and help Michael Mayer. I think it's okay. Right. But that's so, the roster. Like we we are talking about. It's it's strange to me. Like that Houston Griffith can play a whole game like that and not make a tackle and not make a lot of plays in a year and not show up in third down situations. But like you know, if someone can beat him out and he's your backup. He's played well, that's a good... snaps. You have a reserve. I'd love to have go in there, right? I mean, if Houston Griffith is your third safety, like legitimately third safety, fourth safety, that is a valuable third or fourth safety. The problem is if Houston Griffith and plays like that again this year and he's your starter, then you've back to losing the Fiesta Bowl. I think it's, I mean, it's a situation of if it was ever an either or situation, would you rather have Houston Griffith back or KJ Wallace back? Yeah, I mean Houston Griffith for sure. So it's, I mean it's a, it's a one year proposition probably either way. So okay, well then roll with Houston Griffith. He's yeah. he's played and been on the well, field. And KJ Wallace is probably could very well be one of those guys that ends up transferring here too. So well, course, yeah, exactly. Then it, then it isn't a decision. Yeah. yeah. No, that's I I'm leaning into that as like that. Right. That right, that right, would right, be right. that's going to be a real conversation. Well, defensive right. back transfers have to happen. Because they're, yeah. they're all coming back, except for Hamilton, he didn't come back. That would have been a, have been better. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, cornerbacks. Think about it. You're bringing in corners. You just brought in corners. There's going to be some middle guys that have to transfer out. It's just the way, the way it's always worked. But it really worked now because you just get to go play. All right. Question from Ellen Nagel: Have you ever been as wrong as you were for this? I think this is directed at me. Have you ever been as wrong as you were for this game on two of your key points? Blake Fisher could not hold up for an entire game against. 
the Oklahoma State defensive line and Oklahoma State couldn't move the ball consistently on Notre Dame. Did I? I was Blake Fisher. I said uh, it's unrealistic oh, that Blake Fisher started. Oh, then yeah. it's you. Three weeks ago, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think this is me. But the Blake Fisher one is incredible. I am oh, going yeah. to stand by that and say the next time somebody gets hurt in week one and you say, is he going to start the bowl game? I'm going to say, no, he's not because he's not ready. Blake Fisher is the exception that proves the rule. I cannot believe they ran the ball. I cannot believe they moved the ball that well on Notre Dame. I can't believe they moved the ball that well on Notre Dame. It's the most yards since Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl. And I don't mean 2015. Think about yeah. that. Yeah. Think about that. It's the most first downs since Sarkeesian took pity on Charlie or on Charlie Weiss, on Brian Kelly in 2014. Notre Dame has not had that many first downs in a game since then. 34 first downs at 607 yards. I was a hundred percent wrong. I did not think that could happen to Notre Dame unless it was Alabama, you know, or something like that. And Alabama didn't right. do that to Notre Dame. Alabama didn't do this to Notre Dame. The no, other they time sure didn't. they didn't do it to Notre Dame. <laughs> no, they sure didn't. <laughs> this is so yeah, that's as wrong as I've ever been. I I still can't believe it happened. And kudos yeah, that was shock. I'm not sure which was more shocking, but I both were shocking. There's no doubt about well, that. Well, I, I would say the latter of Oklahoma State moving the football in Notre Dame like they did. I mean, I, I was completely wrong about that. I didn't think that that I didn't think that would happen. I will say this that again, um, Oklahoma State ran 57 plays in the second half, number one, and so the offense, Notre Dame offense, wasn't out there that much in the second half. A lot of three and outs, and number two. It's easier to pass block than it is to run block. It just is. Yeah, but I mean, he, doesn't, he, held, he held up great. No, uh, he no. I Blake Fisher is is an incredible football player and is only going to get better. I, I you know it's not it's not it's not like we doubt that this player can do this. He's not capable of doing it. It's just you look at he hadn't played for three months. I mean, he's he coming off a serious injury. Him. He's, He's 335 pounds. No, I, I, don't, I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have. It wasn't so much like we don't think Blake Fisher's good enough. It's this the situation that that prompts you to say, wow, geez, I don't, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to hold up for that. But he was, but hey, he was out there for 89 plays. So whether he's pass blocking or not, he did a he's hell out there of a job. 91. 91. 91. Okay, <laughs> 91 plays. Yeah. So regardless, like it's not. Blake Fisher is in the process of becoming a great football player. And I stand by the offensive guard stuff because Notre Dame thought he was a guard. Notre Dame <laughs> thought he was a guard. Then they I put him at tackle. <laughs> then they put him at tackle. And it's like, oh, hell, he's really good at tackle. Where do you think I got the idea? Tim said offensive guard is like, why is Christophe about to come up in this conversation? <laughs> yeah. <went> Blake Fisher. <laughs> Blake Fisher, Joe Alt. Great, great freshman football players, no doubt. All right, wrapping up from Cash Money eight one two. Is there anything positive to take away from the Fiesta Bowl? I just said a Joe Alt and Blake, Blake Fisher. Fisher and Joe Alt is the number one positive to take away from this Fiesta Bowl. That was tremendous. That, that was a big one. Uh, you know, beyond that, it. You know, you just hope. That one Patterson and Foskey come back. It's not really a festive festival takeaway. The fact that they were up 28 7 on a top 10 exactly. team in the second quarter, <laughs> yeah. the first time head coach. Um, 
Like they were ready to go. I think that um, I was thinking about O'Malley's two touchdown rule where I think that might apply less moving forward because I think Notre Dame may have some violent swings in both directions. I mean, we had the – O'Malley and I were talking – going back and forth on the three offensive touchdown rule that got obliterated. I mean, they were 49-0 and the last five years when they scored three offensive touchdowns. Like, I think they will probably lose a few – few more games when they score three offensive touchdowns moving forward um, if they're going to play a more pass first, chuck it all over the place offense. But I, they're, the fact they're up 28-7, you can just sort of bottle how the Notre Dame fan base felt like that. I mean, oh it was like God, you, were in a Dis- you were in a freaking Disney movie at that point. Um, that, that should be a positive um, that you can hold on to moving forward. You know, I got to admit that uh... – I think I may have told you this, O'Malley, that at halftime, it's like, boy, you're really tempted to say something about Tommy Reese's offensive coordinator. And then they, then, you know, then they, <laughs> throw that one out there. <laughs> but, you know, you don't, you don't throw it out there because you think, well, maybe the second half could be different. One of our colleagues was about to say something about, well, this is what it's like to jump all over a team like a top team. OSU, like Ohio, Ohio State thing, you know, <laughs> with that's like, yeah, it's a good thing you didn't throw. Don't, don't throw things out there during the half. That's not. We must learn those things. Boy, it was a They've lost to all the OSUs in the Fiesta Bowl now. There are no oh, yeah. OSUs all to do. Right. Um, I was Boy. getting so many texts at the halftime of that game. Are you enjoying the route? Are you enjoying the blowout? <laughs> it's just like, this is not good. This is good. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a blowout when the other team goes 75 yards on oh, four plays in 37 so, seconds. You want to talk about a portent? My gosh, it looks so easy. Yeah. It was like, what's going on there? Yeah. That was weird. Yeah, well, hey, there's uh, the season's over, but there's a lot to be determined in terms of roster makeup more than ever because there's going to be transfers more than ever. Uh, still things to to figure out coaching wise, and we of course will be reporting on all that at Irish Illustrated. Pete Sampson will be reporting on it for the Athletic, and uh, we are going to we're, we won't come back for a podcast until a week from today. Um, and then uh, I'm sure yeah, there, think about how many things, how many details are going to change between now and next Monday with, yeah. with all the moving parts in so many different areas. Uh, so we'll have plenty to talk about on Monday, but, um, we, uh, we are, or ourselves a little bit of a break here after this season. And, um, we appreciate you joining us here for the Monday, January 3rd edition of Irish Illustrated Insider. And we'll talk with you next Monday, January 10th.